Well, brothers and sisters, as we wait upon the Lord, we have just sung on his word, we will rely. So what a joy it is to rely on that word together with you this morning. For those of you who don't know, my name is uh, Paul Abdallah. I'm one of the elders here at Stafford Baptist Church. Last week, we concluded uh, one of the sections here uh, in Matthew and our, our normal rhythm would, would have us back in Genesis, considering the story of Isaac and Jacob. But before we get there, we're going to spend the next three weeks uh, in the book of the prophet Isaiah. So if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to open it there to the, the book of Isaiah. You can find uh, that book immediately following uh, the Song of Solomon and right before the prophets Jeremiah. This morning we'll be spending much of our time in Isaiah 30, so you can open particularly to Isaiah 30. And if you don't have a Bible, I would encourage you, please use one of those uh, black Bibles in the pew in front of you, where you'll find Isaiah 30 on page 590, 590. Well, our goal over the the next three weeks is to get a bit of a a big picture, kind of a a 30,000 foot view, if you will, of the book of Isaiah. And if you're like me, Isaiah can be one of the the most difficult books to understand, like a a tough nut to open. It's not only a massive size, but its context and historical setting seem distant to us. And Isaiah changes between prophecy and narrative at various times without much warning. And so much like when you go to visit a new place, and and in that new place you're trying to orient yourself with a a few locations... We'll try over the next few weeks to consider a few points of orientation within Isaiah that can give us a better understanding of the whole book. If I was to summarize the the, the major theme of Isaiah, I'd do it this way. The Holy One acts. The Holy One, the Lord Almighty, King of all creation, acts. He does not sit still. He is not silent. Indeed, He acts for the sake of His name. And on behalf of his people. We'll summarize over the next three weeks the Holy One's actions in three ways. God purifies, which we'll consider this morning. God consoles, which we'll consider next week. And finally, God prepares, which we'll consider, Lord willing, the week after that. Those three actions actually come from the ESV study Bible notes. If you have an ESV study Bible, you'll see that those those three actions are how they summarize the book of Isaiah. And so this morning, we'll give thought to the idea of God purifying from the first 39 chapters of Isaiah, but focusing, as I said, in Isaiah 30. So before we read from Isaiah 30, let's, let's just do some setup. Where are we in Isaiah once we, we get here to ch- chapter 30? Well, Isaiah is a, a prophet to, to the kingdom of Judah. It's the southern kingdom when Israel split into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom was Israel and the southern kingdom was Judah. And Isaiah was a prophet to that southern kingdom in the days of of four different kings. We see this in Isaiah 1.1, where we read this. The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. So in the days of those four kings, Isaiah has a vision, and he proclaims that vision to the people of God. And in this first section of Isaiah, chapters 1 through 39, he's prophesying of the coming judgment of Assyria. The people have forsaken the Lord. They've despised the Holy One, and God will judge them. 
He cannot ignore their sin any longer. And the way this judgment will come is through the Assyrian Empire. And so that's, that's really the, the historical t- context of Isaiah 30. And in the, in the flow of Isaiah itself, Isaiah 30 is found in the middle of six woes against the people of God. And in Isaiah 30, we have the fourth woe pronounced against God's people. So let's read from Isaiah 30, verses 1 through 33. And then I'll lead us in a prayer for the hearing and proclaiming of God's word. Isaiah 30. Starting in verse 1. Ah, stubborn children, declares the Lord, who carry out a plan, but not mine, and who make an alliance, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin, who set out to go down to Egypt without asking for my direction, to take refuge in the protection of Pharaoh, and to seek shelter in the shadow of Egypt. Therefore, Shall the protection of Pharaoh turn to your shame, and the shelter in the shadow of Egypt to your humiliation? For though his officials are at Zoan, and his envoys reach Hanes, everyone comes to shame through a people that cannot profit them, that brings neither help nor profit, but shame and disgrace. An oracle on the beasts of the Negeb, through a land of trouble and anguish, from where come the lioness and the lion, the adder and the flying fiery serpent, They carry their riches on the backs of donkeys and their treasures on the humps of camels to a people that cannot profit them. Egypt's help is worthless and empty. Therefore, I have called her Rahab, who sits still. And now go, write it before them on a tablet and inscribe it in a book, that it may be for the time to come as a witness forever. For they are a rebellious people, lying Children, children unwilling to hear the instruction of the Lord, who say to the seers, do not see, and to the prophets, do not prophesy to us what is right, speak to us smooth things, prophesy illusions, leave the way, turn aside from the path, let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. Therefore, thus says the Holy One of Israel, because you despise this word and trust in oppression and perverseness and rely on them, therefore this iniquity shall be to you like a breach in a high wall, bulging out and about to collapse, whose breaking comes suddenly in an instant, and its breaking is like that of a potter's vessel that is smashed so ruthlessly that among its fragments not a shard is found with which to take fire from the earth or to dip up water out of the cistern. For thus said the the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, In returning and rest you shall be saved, in quietness and in trust shall be your strength. But you were unwilling, and you said, No, we will flee upon horses, therefore you shall flee away. And we will ride upon swift steeds, therefore your pursuers shall be swift. A thousand shall flee at the threat of one, and at the threat of five you shall flee till you are left like a flagstaff on the top of a mountain, like a signal on a hill. Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you, for the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. For people shall dwell in Zion, in Jerusalem. You, you shall weep no more. He will surely be gracious to you at the sound of your cry. As soon as he hears, he answers you. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher will not hide himself any more. But your eyes shall see your teacher. And your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way, walk in it. 
when you turn to the right or when you turn to the left. Then you will defile your carved idols overlaid with silver and your gold-plated metal images. You will scatter them as unclean things and you will say to them, Be gone! And he will give rain for the seed with which you sow the ground and bread, the produce of the ground which will be rich and plenteous. And that day your livestock will graze in the large pastures and the oxen and the donkeys that work the ground will eat seasoned fodder which has been winnowed with a shovel and fork. And on every lofty mountain and every high hill there will be brooks running with water in the day of the great slaughter when the towers fall. Moreover, the light of the moon will be as the light of the sun and the light of the sun will be sevenfold as the light of seven days in the day when the Lord binds up the brokenness of his people and heals the wounds inflicted by his blow. Behold, the name of the Lord comes from afar, burning with his anger and in thick rising smoke. His lips are full of fury and his tongue is like a devouring fire. His breath is like an overflowing stream that reaches up to the neck to sift the nations with the sieve of destruction and to place on the jaws of the peoples a bridle that leads astray. You shall have a song as in the night when a holy feast is kept in gladness of heart as when one sets out to the sound of the flute to go to the mountain of the Lord to the rock of Israel. And the Lord will cause his majestic voice to be heard and the descending blow of his arm to be seen in furious anger and a flame of devouring fire with a cloudburst and storm and hailstones. The Assyrians will be terror stricken at the voice of the Lord when he strikes with his rod. And every stroke of the appointed staff that the Lord lays on them will be to the sound of tambourines and lyres. Battling with brandished arm, he will fight with them. For a burning place has long been prepared. Indeed, for the king it is made ready. Its pyre made deep and wide with fire and wood in abundance. The breath of the Lord, like a stream of sulfur, kindles it. Let's pray. Father, we magnify your majestic name. Lord, thank you that though we did not long to hear your word, you spoke to us. You revealed yourself to us. Father, may our hearts be like the disciples. Where no matter what your word says, we say, who else should we go? Where else should we go? For you are the one that has the words of eternal life. Lord, may we hear those words this morning. May we believe them and know you as the Holy One. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it can often be difficult to wait for the help of another person. I wonder if you've felt that, the the impatience of, of having to wait for the help of another. But often it ends up being more painful to do something on our own when we probably should have waited. Have you experienced that pain, the pain of of trying to do something on your own rather than waiting for the help of another? I can imagine a a couple of scenarios and stories ranging from from funny to to more serious. You can imagine a child who who desperately needs the juice or the milk, and their parents say, "I'll, I'll get it for you in just a moment. They finish getting dressed or using the restroom. But instead of waiting, the, the child says, I can do this. They open the fridge. They open the, the juice or the milk. They begin to lift it out of the fridge only to have it 
dump on them. Now, here's a thirsty child with no more juice and extremely sticky. If only they had waited. On a more serious note, you might think of a a story like the one I read this week of a, a man in India who lost power in his house. But instead of waiting for the help of those who know how to handle electricity, he sought to fix it himself and ended up electrocuting himself and dying. The pain of no power made much, much worse. While it can be painful and difficult to wait, often the alternative proves much worse. Well, the same is true, though on a much more significant scale for the people of Israel. They had continually, for many years, rebelled against God. And so he was going to send Assyria to judge them. They had refused to trust him again and again. And so God was going to judge. But rather, having received that message of judgment, rather than repenting and and resting in God, they are going to try to take salvation into their own hands. And it only ends up making it worse. Well, our big idea for Isaiah 1 through 39 is is this. Trust the Holy One who purifies His rebellious people through judgment. So I think you can summarize all of Isaiah 1 through 39 with that one sentence. Let me say it again. Trust the Holy One who purifies His rebellious people through judgment. In the face of a pending judgment, the people of God who have forsaken and despised their God are tempted to look for worldly security. To find their trust in the things of this world rather than in the Holy One who has spoken to them. Yet the Holy One reigns now as King and will reign forever as King. But as we await that coming kingdom, God will purify a remnant of His people through judgment. And therefore, we ought to trust the Holy One who purifies His rebellious people through judgment. We'll consider that big idea really in in two, in two parts. First, the woe to rebellious children. Woe to rebellious children in Isaiah 30 verses 1 through 17. And then secondly, we'll see the call to wait on the God of justice. Wait on the God of justice in Isaiah 30 verses 18 through 33. So woe to rebellious children and then wait on the God of justice. And as we consider Isaiah 30, we really are are trying to consider all of Isaiah 1 through 39. So I have lots of of quotations from other parts of Isaiah 1 through 39. And and I have all those, hopefully, on the screen uh, behind me. And as we go through it, I would encourage you to to listen there. But but I would also encourage you to keep Isaiah 30 open on your lap. Because we'll come back to it again and again. It's kind of the the foundation for what, what we are seeing throughout Isaiah 1 through 39. And don't be concerned that the first point is going to be very long. So just giving you the heads up here on the front end, the first point, woe to rebellious children, will, will take up most of our time. So as you look at the clock, don't, don't be afraid. that I, I'm aware that this is the, the longer of the two points. So consider first, woe to rebellious children. Look at verse 1 again of Isaiah 30. Ah, stubborn children, declares the Lord. See, that that introduction there, that that, that interjection that begins Isaiah 30 verse 1 is an oft-repeated word throughout Isaiah. In fact, throughout all of Isaiah, it appears 21 times. But in our section this morning of Isaiah 1 through 39, it actually appears 18 out of those 21 times. 
And the, the word is translated here in, in chapter 30 as ah, but it can also be translated as woe. And it's a pronouncing of judgment and a, a lamenting over the sinful condition of God's people. See, God mourns the sinful condition of his people. God takes no delight in the sin of his stubborn and rebellious children. He cannot. He is God. He's the Holy One, the one we we sung of as perfect in power and in love and in purity. And so throughout Isaiah 1 through 39, we see God lamenting the sin of his people as he pronounces judgment on them for their sin. Let's Consider a, a few of those, uh, of those uh, times where God pronounces those judgments. Starting in Isaiah 1.4, listen for the, the ahs and the woes. Isaiah 1.4 says, Ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. They are utterly estranged. Or Isaiah 5 verse 20. Woe. To those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Or Isaiah 31 verse 1. Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses who trust in chariots because they are many and in horsemen because they are very strong, but do not look to the Holy One of Israel or consult the Lord. Again and again and again, the Lord pronounces these ahs, these woes. He he will judge His people. He cannot allow the, the sin that they've mirrored themselves in again and again to go unpunished. I wonder if you struggle with the, the pronouncement of God's judgment on, on His people. It's hard for you to, to hear that. We, we might wonder, how can... How can God do this? Is it right for Him to do this? Well, the backbone to these pronouncements of judgments here in in Isaiah is found in Isaiah 6. See, Isaiah starts with this, this message, right? This message of judgment. And then he brings us to Isaiah 6, which is his, his call from the Lord to prophesy. But within that call, we actually, we find this picture of God which really fuels our understanding of how God can pronounce these judgments. So look at Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 3. We read there, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. Above Him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two He covered His face, and with two He covered His feet, and with two He flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. Look at how Isaiah sees the Lord here in those first few verses. He sees the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, exalted. He is the the Lord of hosts. A Lord with with an army, exalted above all of His creation, sitting on His throne. And He describes Him with this threefold reputation of holy, holy, holy. Intensifying with with every, every word to the descriptor of God's nature. God is not just holy. He's not just holy, holy. He's holy, holy, holy. 
And the whole earth is full of His glory. God is absolutely pure and separate from His creation. Not one ounce of of evil or sin. He is our holy, pure, exalted God. I wonder if you've meditated recently on the beauty of that God. Of knowing our exalted God. I'd encourage you to read Isaiah 6 this afternoon to to think more, dwell on that exalted God. But friends, if we're to understand why God is pronouncing judgment throughout these first 39 chapters, we must first understand His nature, that He is the all-holy God. See, God is not just ambiguous in His judgments of the people of Israel. No, there is a reason for why the, the proud and the foolish Israelites must be judged. Because God alone is the Holy One. We see it throughout the first five chapters of Isaiah. God using this phrase that He will humble the proud. That He will make low those who exalt themselves. Because God alone is the one who sits on the throne. Deserving of the place of exaltation. And so when when we seek to, to make little of God and more of ourselves. God must act in judgment, God will humble those who seek to exalt themselves. We wonder how, how have the people of God exalted themselves? Well, I think Isaiah 30 summarizes that, that well for us. See, the, the people of God exalt themselves by despising the word of God and putting their hope in Egypt and not the Lord. Or to put it in other words, the people of God put their hope in the world instead of the Lord. That's what we see there in the first 17 verses of Isaiah 30. Look again at Isaiah 30 verses 1 through 17. We see the Lord declare that judgment there in verse 1. Why? Because they carry out a plan, but not God's plan. They make an alliance, but not of God's spirit. So they add sin to sin. They set out to go down to Egypt, but they don't ask for the direction of the Lord. They're not taking refuge in the Lord. No, they're they're seeking refuge in the protection of Pharaoh, in the shelter of Egypt. They they seek the protection of, of those who cannot profit them. In the face of incoming danger, they seek not the help of the Lord, but of the world. The Lord has promised to judge them and they should respond with repentance and resting in Him. But they've put their hope in the world. We see this in in various ways throughout the the, uh, first 39 chapters of Isaiah. One of the ways we see they put their hope in the world rather than in the Lord is they trust in religious sacrifices rather than pursuing true faithful obedience. The Israelites put their hope in in religious good works rather than pursuing faithful and true obedience. God says this in Isaiah 1 verses 13 and 14. Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feast my soul hates. They have become a burden to me, and I am weary of bearing them. Picture of a God weary of the people burdening him with with false worship and religious sacrifices. 
See, the people of God had forsaken true righteousness and true justice. And they sought their righteousness in vain offerings. Rather than worshiping the Lord in spirit and in truth, they have sought to make themselves right from a proud and self-exalted heart. Brothers and sisters, what, what religious acts do you do so that you may be made right with God? Are there religious things that you do not from a heart humbled before your God, but from a self-exalted heart. The people of Israel can, can do religious things. They can call for the, the seers to prophesy. They can practice vain offerings. But that's all they are, vain, if they're not coming from a humbled heart before the Lord. The people of of God trust religious sacrifices rather than pursuing true and faithful obedience. Another way that the the people of God exalt themselves here in Isaiah is they trust in worldly powers rather than in the Lord. They trust in worldly powers rather than in the Lord. This is what I think we see very clearly here in Isaiah 30, right? They, They go down to Egypt. We saw it in Isaiah 31 verse 1 that we read earlier where the Israelites go down to Egypt to rely on horses and trust in chariots and in horsemen, but do not look to the Holy One. And I love what what God says here about that help in verse 7 of Isaiah 30. Look there with me. Isaiah 30, verse 7. Egypt's help is worthless and empty. And therefore I have called her Rahab who sits still. This phrase, Rahab who sits still, is a a reference to a mighty sea monster like the Leviathan who rather than doing great things is just sitting there, pointless, worthless, hopeless. And that's the kind of hope and profit that Egypt will bring to the people of Israel. Zero. It's worthless. They provide no help, no profit, but only shame and disgrace. Brothers and sisters, no earthly authority or power will bring the real and true salvation that we need. All earthly powers are like Rahab who sits still. You know, when there's a a transition in authority like Virginia just experienced yesterday, the temptation is high to to put our hope in in this new authority. And we see that in various ways. Maybe it's, it's, it's it's a, a, a depression we go into. We go, well, this person can't help us. We're doomed. Or it's the other way. Oh, this, this person is our Savior. We're, we're going to be better now because this person has authority. Both of those are putting our hope in worldly powers. But Egypt's help is worthless and empty. The Lord says that it is folly to, to look for, for true salvation in the hands of worldly authorities rather than in Him. So the people of God trust in worldly powers rather than in the Lord. We also see that the people of God exalt themselves by despising the word of the Holy One. They despise the word of the Holy One. So look with me at verses 9 through 11 of Isaiah 30. We'll read it one more time. Isaiah 30 verses 9 through 11. For they are a rebellious people, lying children, children unwilling to hear the instruction of the Lord, who say to the seers, do not see, and to the prophets, do not prophesy to us what is right, Speak to us smooth things, prophesy illusions, leave the way, turn aside from the path, let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. 
people of God have wandering ears. They, they tell Isaiah, let us hear no more of that Holy One. They have no desire for truth, but only that which will bring pleasing to their ears. This is not unique to Isaiah 30. We read in Isaiah chapter 5, verse 24. Therefore, as the tongue of fire devours the stubble, and as dry grass sinks down in the flame, so their root will be as rottenness, and their blossom go up like dust. For they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts, and have despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. This is the position of the people of God here in Israel. They've rejected the law of the Lord. They have despised His word. They have chosen their own way and rejected the way of the Holy One. Brothers and sisters, we need to be wary. We need to be wary of rejecting and despising the word of the Holy One. Are you seeking to hear God's word in its full truthfulness? Or when you read the Bible, are you picking and choosing what sounds good to you or what doesn't sound good to you? Now, this week I was thinking, it's, it's well known of, of Thomas Jefferson who created his own Bible in which he took out all the miraculous acts and he made a Bible that fit what he wanted to hear. Friends, be weary of doing the same thing. Where we, where we pick and choose what we want to listen to and what no longer applies to us which is ultimately a rejection of the Holy One. The people of God have rejected the Holy One, and it, and it really is pinnacled for us in Isaiah 30, verse 15. So look there at Isaiah 30, verse 15. The ESV Study Bible calls this the, the summary verse of all of Isaiah 1 through 39. There in, in verse 15 we read this. For thus said the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved, in quietness and in trust shall be your strength. But you were unwilling. Egypt cannot save Israel. But the Lord promises that if they returned to Him, if they repented of their sin and trusted in the Holy One, they would be saved. But the condemnation comes. But you were unwilling. You know, throughout the Bible, that, that word but can often be such a, a wonderful word. You can think of it in, in maybe Ephesians 2, where we, we read that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God made alive. But not here. Here it is the, the pinnacle of the condemnation of the people of God who, who did not want to hear the word of God, yet he still speaks to them. Yet, they are unwilling. They long not for the the Holy One, for His Word. They are unwilling to return to Him, to to repent. That's there, that that word returning, it could be uh, translated as repentance. To turn from their sin and look to Him, even now in the midst of judgment coming. No, they seek their salvation and protection in the world. And that will be their judgment. There in, in verses 16 and 17, they, they will flee upon horses, but not to safety, to exile. They will, be, they will ride swift steeds, but their pursuers will be swifter. And so the Lord 
will judge. This judgment, this judgment is pictured for us in Isaiah 5, verse 25, where we read, Therefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against his people, and he stretched out his hand against them and struck them, and the mountains quaked, and their corpse were as a refuse in the midst of the streets. For all this his anger has not turned away, and his hand is stretched out still. Brothers and sisters, sit in that for a minute. The picture here is one of of total and complete judgment. The the mountains are quaking. The the corpses lie in the middle of the street. And yet God is not relenting yet. His anger is still against those who have rejected Him. I think Josh prayed this, but we were reminded of this as we sung. This judgment, though, is not an, an angry God's emotional reaction to being rejected. It's not like me when I yell at my kids because they have rejected me. They haven't done what I wanted them to do. No, God's judgment is perfect. It's complete. The rejection of the people did not catch God off guard. In fact, he foretold that it was going to happen to Isaiah in Isaiah 6. Where we read in verses 9 and 10. Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. God was sending Isaiah so that as he he proclaimed, the people of God would, would not repent, but they would only get hardened in their position. Well, why did God say this? Because this is the position of every human heart to God. Hardened to Him. Despising Him. Deserving of judgment. And no matter how many times the the message of judgment is proclaimed, we will not turn. Because that power is not found within ourselves. Woe to the stubborn children who rebel against their holy and exalted God. Brothers and sisters, this judgment is the judgment that awaits all of us who refuse to turn to our God in repentance and faith, who continue to trust in hopes and worldly treasures, despising the Holy One. But the good news of the Gospel is that the Holy One has pursued us. That when we don't want to hear from Him, we see in verse 12, thus says the Holy One of Israel, He speaks to us. He pursues us even in the midst of our rebellion against Him. And He pursued us by sending a shoot from the stump of Jesse. One who had the Spirit of the Lord resting upon Him. One whose delight was in the fear of the Lord. Whose belt is righteousness and faithfulness. As Isaiah 11, 1-5 tells us. The shoot from the stump of Jesse is Jesus Christ. Who perfectly obeyed God in every way we could not. He did not make his own alliances and plans when Satan tempted. No, he waited and trusted in the Lord's plan. He did not long for smooth things and illusions. No, he proclaimed the truth of God's word at every moment. He did not despise the Holy One. He was the Holy One made flesh, trusting his Father all the way, even to the cross. You see, that the judgment that Israel faced was awful. Exile from the land, attacked by the Babylonians. But Jesus, 
took upon himself all the wrath of God for every sinner who would turn from their sin. And it's through this judgment going upon Jesus, just as through the exile, God would purify his people. See, this is how God purifies his people. He does it through judgment. The purity that we long for can only be found as we repent of our sin and rest in Jesus who took on the judgment for us. Friends, if you're not a Christian and you're here this morning, thank you for for coming. Hear, Hear the warning from our text this morning that another purifying judgment is coming. And this judgment is foretold in what we read earlier in our service in Matthew 25, verses 31 through 46, when Jesus comes again. This time when Jesus comes, he comes not to bear our judgment in our place, but to sit on his glorious throne and judge, to separate the sheep from the goats. And those on his right will know everlasting peace in the presence of their God. And those on his left will know eternal conscious punishment in the eternal fire prepared. For the devil and his angels. At that moment, the final purifying act of God, where God will purify his people through judgment. And the call in preparation of that of that message of judgment is the call that God gave to his people in verse 15 of Isaiah 30. In returning and rest, you shall be saved. Turn from your evil ways. Trust in the Holy One who waits to be gracious to you. Who exalts Himself to show mercy to you. If this is you this morning, friends, let me encourage you. If you have not repented of your sin, to to find someone after the service and talk to them about what it means to turn to Jesus and rest in Him. For He waits on you. Well, this leads us to our second point this morning. Wait on the God of justice. Wait on the God of justice. Look back to Isaiah 30, verse 18. Here we find the the hinge verse that, that blows open the door of understanding. Since Israel was unwilling to wait on the Lord, the Lord will wait on them. We read in verse 18, Therefore, the Lord waits to be gracious to you, and therefore he exalts himself to show mercy to you, for the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for for him. Israel, unwilling to wait on the Lord, the Lord patiently waiting on them. Friends, this is an amazing thought. The Lord waiting here is not waiting to judge. No, he's waiting to be gracious. He doesn't exalt himself to demonstrate his mightiness in judgment. He exalts himself to show mercy. He is a God of justice. But that God of justice is blessing all those who wait for him. Brothers and sisters, you might feel trapped in your sin this morning. But if you turn from your sin and rest on him, he will be gracious to you. You might feel like you deserve nothing of his grace. But if you turn to him, he will show mercy to you. For he is a God of justice. He he cannot go against what he has promised. Those who wait for him, he will save. Wait 
on the God of justice. Well, why should we wait? Well, because the fullness of God's kingdom is coming. See, the the Lord will, will not ignore our cries and our longings for affliction to end. Look at, at verse 20 of, of Isaiah 30. We read this. And though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, yet your teacher will not hide himself anymore, but your eyes shall see your teacher. I think the, the message was, don't go to Egypt. Wait for the Lord. Yes, you will, you will drink adversity. You will eat of affliction. But then the Lord will save you. Friends, here and now we, we deal with adversity. We deal with affliction in, in this life, right? We, we know God is king, but we're still awaiting the fullness of His coming kingdom. I wonder if you feel weary this morning. One affliction feels like it's coming right after another affliction. And you wonder when God will bring it to an end. Hear the call to wait on the Holy One because the fullness of of God's kingdom is coming. That's what we see throughout verses 19 through 26. We get this beautiful picture in Isaiah 30 of of a kingdom where the Lord will bind up the brokenness of His people and He will heal the wounds that He inflicted. He will give rain and, and the ground will be fruitful. And on every high hill there will be brooks of running with water. We see this promise in, uh, throughout Isaiah 1-39, through 39, particularly in, in, verse, in chapters 24-27, through 27, summed up in, in Isaiah 27 verse 6 where he talks about these days to come. We read, In days to come Jacob shall take root, Israel shall blossom and put forth shoots and fill the whole world with fruit. Brothers and sisters, the people of God are promised a day where they will blossom and be fruitful, where there will be joy and peace for all eternity. So wait for Him. Whatever pain or adversity you're dealing with, wait on the Lord. Trust and rely upon Him. Don't try to take it into your own hands. Wait on the God who is justice. Well, not only do we have the promise of a, a beautiful kingdom that is to come, but we have the assurance that all God's enemies will be destroyed. And so we can wait on Him. Look at what he says in Isaiah 30, verse 31. Did you look there? In verse 31 we read, The Assyrians, right? These are the enemies of God's people. The Assyrians will be terror-stricken at the voice of the Lord when He strikes with His rod. See, the Israelites might be terrified of the Assyrians now, but there will be a day when the Assyrians will be terror-stricken at the very voice of God and he will have victory over all his enemies. You know, in Isaiah chapters 13 through 23, we we see this recurring theme of God judging the nations. See, God is the king over all nations and his purifying judgment will fall upon every person. No one will escape. Every enemy of God's people will be defeated. To include sin and death. Why? Well, we see there in verse 33 of Isaiah 30. For God has prepared a burning place for the king 
It is made ready, its pyre made deep and wide with fire and wood in abundance, and the breath of the Lord, like a stream of sulfur, kindles it. Brothers and sisters, God has prepared a place for his enemies, a place where none will escape his judgment. And so the call is wait, wait on the God of justice. Well, at the heart of those scenarios and, and stories that I, I mentioned at the beginning of, of the child with juice or the, the man who electrocuted himself, at the heart of those, right, is, is pride. It's the heart of that, it's pride in the heart of the child that says, I can do this on my own. And pride is what keeps us from humbling ourselves and relying upon God. And really, this, this is the, the theme. Israel has, has, has self-exalted. They have in their pride not humbled themselves, but exalted themselves. And I think this is pictured for us in the, the kind of concluding narrative that ends Isaiah 1-39 through 39 in, in chapters 36-39. through through 39. There in that story, we see Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, ready to attack and destroy Jerusalem. Here comes the judgment that God has promised. But Sennacherib is marked and ultimately destroyed by his own foolish pride. And in contrast, in that story, the king of Judah, Hezekiah at that time, relies on the Lord. He turns and prays for God to deliver Jerusalem. Rather than seeking help from Egypt or other nations, he seeks the help of the Lord. And the Lord delivers his people from Assyria. But ultimately, even Hezekiah falls to pride. In Isaiah 38 and 39, he brings Babylon into into his kingdom and says, Look at all that I have. And Isaiah very clearly says that that is the downfall of, of the nation of Judah. Their pride in boasting to Babylon only fuels Babylon's desire to come and conquer and take all that gold for themselves. And so the first section of Isaiah ends with the promise that the people of Judah will be carried into exile. God will judge as He has promised, purifying His people. But the day is coming when He will console and bring comfort to His people. Therefore, as we await that day, humble yourself and trust the Holy One who purifies His rebellious people through judgment. Let's pray. Lord, we are in awe that you exalt yourself to show mercy to sinners. That you wait to be gracious to us and that you bless all those who wait for you. Father, help us today to set our hopes on you alone. Father, to be willing to wait through adversity and affliction as we await the full culmination of your kingdom. Father, we confess our eyes are easily taken off the hope that is to come. Lord, may we wait for you, relying on your word through the storm and through the night. And Father, may we sing of your power to save with boldness and confidence. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.